We're going to read the gospel today uh, from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 22 through 27. You'll find this in the Common English Bible. Uh, You can also find this in page 1313 in the Pew Bibles. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, asked, Lord, why are you about to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, Whoever loves me will keep my word. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever doesn't love me doesn't keep my words. The word that you hear isn't mine. It is the word of the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I am with you. The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I told you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I give to you not as the world gives. Don't be troubled or afraid. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, it's my great privilege to introduce our speaker, Reverend Rick Reynolds. And Rick is one of ours. I think you know He has been worshiping with us for many, many years, but even before that, he was raised in a free Methodist church. He's part of our community, part of our culture, and we know and love Rick deeply. When I see Rick interviewed on TV, as many of you have, or read about him in the Metropolitan Magazine or many other periodicals in the city, I'm always so proud that he's one of ours. He's, he's been working with Operation Nightwatch since 1994. I think that makes it 28 years. And actually this June 1st, there will be a retirement party for him in the Fine Center. So you're all welcome to drop by. It's a two hour kind of drop in event. We'd love to see you there. But Rick um, has been honored by many, many people in many different ways, in the city, in the state, and other organizations. I was at something where SPU honored him as a Medallion Award winner, I believe. And we just want to take a moment and honor Rick and talk about Rick. Sorry, Rick. I know it's so fun. But many of us have had an opportunity in this congregation and those of you online over the years to have served alongside Rick at Operation Night Watch. Rick has um, had a whole group of women from our church, a a large group of women, and most of them sat right back over there. And those women, every month at least, went down and helped in the offices, doing mailings, doing things like that. We have people, I think David Simmons has done this, driving vans and trucks and cars with Dick's hamburgers, to take to uh, donate evenings where they were donated, I think once a week, uh, twice a week. That's that's pretty good, that's pretty amazing that that company did that. And our people have come along Operation Night Watch, we've brought in thousands of socks for the Sockatoomie Drive. We have uh, people who have helped in remodeling and working in the facility, we have people who have sat out front to give out tickets for people 
as they're in line in order to get a shelter bed for a night. We have people who have um, brought food on those evenings. And there's many, many more things that Rick has, has offered up to us to be able to help with, and we've done that. This has been an organization for all of those years that we've helped financially every month as a congregation. And some of us in this room have also had the privilege of walking the streets with Rick, going into the bars, hanging out in dark places. Um, Pastor Mark did it for years, I did it. Bishop Whitehead has been a part of that. In fact, this morning I almost wore my clergy collar. It's the only time I ever use it. I've used it a couple times in Africa, but otherwise I've only used it walking uh, with Operation Night Watch. And I almost, almost wore it just to honor this morning. Um, one of the things that I'd like to say about Rick is that he's a person who has, for all of these years, brought the life and the light of Christ in places where we would fear to tread. He has been or trained and taken and sent people under the bridges, in the forests, on the streets, in the bars, you name it. He has been there offering Christ's light. I want to read you something that I found that Rick is a quote of Rick's, and I think it really tells a lot about why he does what he does. I took my first walk with Operation Night Watch when I was still at Fuller Seminary. That was 1982. Years later, I'm still at it. People ask me if I get tired seeing the same people with the same problems all the time. The fact is, once you've seen the dead come to life, once you have one guy stop you on the street and tell you that he's back to work, back with his family, full of faith and hope, it keeps you going for a long time. So this morning, we want to honor Rick. We have had a tradition here at First Church of yearly giving a Servant's Heart Award, is what we've called it, to people either in our congregation, well, people in our congregation who have either served in extra special ways um, this congregation, but more generally, we've honored people who are serving in our city or in their neighborhoods. Um, we even honored Pastor Mark's wife, Mary Ann, for being alongside him all the years of his ministry. We knew that was an extra divine service to the rest of us. If you're interested, you can go look at the plaque we reinstated on the wall just outside here that uh, has a list of all the people since 1995 that we've honored. So I encourage you to do that. But today we're honoring Rick. We're honoring Rick for shining the light of Christ all over our city, for training people, for speaking in all sorts of churches and places with the major focus of the love of Christ is what has sent him out. We're proud, Rick, that you're one of us. We are very proud. We are proud that you live out the values of our founder, B.T. Roberts, from 1860. Now, he hasn't been in ministry that long. Rick hasn't. But, but he, he exudes the, the values that the Free Methodist Church was founded on and of living the life of Christ in a contemporary, current culture. 
So those who are living on the margins have seen Jesus through you, and we acknowledge that and we honor you. We've called you in years past our urban missionary, and that is really who you've been for us. So this morning, we want to award you also the Servant Heart Award, and uh, we want to give him that picture, um, and you'll see that there's one out in the hallway also. It's what we felt was the best depiction of a servant's heart. So Rick, come on up. Let's honor Rick and welcome Rick. So I'm, I'm preaching today from a bar stool, and maybe you'll understand. This is my, my last sermon as the director of Operation Nightwatch. And we have a wonderful guy uh, selected to replace me. He started early May, and um, he'd been going out on the street with us since no, 2014. 19. <laughs> 2014, it was the week of the Seahawks victory parade. Remember the 750,000 people downtown? And then the next night, we were out at 11.30 or so at night, and we crawled through a hole in the fence under the viaduct and passed out blankets. And I wondered how many of those 750,000 people knew about the hole in the fence and the, and the dozen guys huddled together trying to keep warm. It was about 25 degrees. And Frank went with me that night and he stayed with us every week going out on the street. So it's, it's a great time. Um, you know, my first, my first week on the job was um, a, little, uh, a little bit amazing to me if I, as I look back at it. It's a wonder I didn't like run out the door and, and turn my back on the whole thing. Because it's not like serving a church. I was pastor of a church of 100 and never once had I seen a committee uh, break down into fisticuffs. And um, on my first week on the job, I, I'm sitting inside Night Watch. It's about quarter to 10, I think, and um, we hadn't opened yet. Back then, we opened at 10 o'clock, and we had a couple of little broken-down crockpots for soup, and, um, you know, we would call the shelters to try to get people inside, and then we had ministers out on the streets, and um, it was just kind of a... a, a a small taste of things to come. And, and so here I was, my first week on the job, I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden there's this dull roar that starts to, starts to happen. And I look out the windows, and right in front of our front door, there were a couple of guys just going at it, punching each other, big fight, you know. And I, I started to get that excitement, you know, like, ah, I got to do something, you know. So I called, you know, I went running back to the phone and called 911. Thank goodness somebody had put the address down because I would not have remembered that uh, only having been there for a week and plus the excitement of it all I would have totally lost it so anyway I'm watching this fight and calling 911 and the operator goes are there any weapons I go well no they're just throwing punches at each other and they said is anybody hurt I go well they're both still standing up so I guess not and she goes okay call us back click I got hung up but on by the 911 operator it was crazy. So I thought, well, I got to do something about this. So I go outside, you know, and by this time, the little black guy is sitting on the white guy's uh, chest and kind of getting his attention, I guess you'd say. And um, uh, I leaned over them and I just said in my best free Methodist preacher's voice, knock it off. And the guy turned around, looked up at me, got right up off the guy. I thought, 
well, that's pretty great, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, the, the drunk white guy wandered off with his one friend who was trying to be philosophical about the whole thing and uh, consoling his buddy. And uh, everybody was gathered around the black guy, congratulating him about the fact that this white guy had been picking fights all night and was drunk and, and Ralph settled it. Ralph turned out to be a friend through the years. Um, so uh, that was the start of my 28-year uh, time at Night Watch, you know, kind of it, it, memorable. I'm probably the only one that remembers it uh, after all this time. So I, I think about my time there, and I think about really what I've been doing is I've been in a 28-year a, a experiment in love. Now, someone... Uh, might remind me that I've been married 46 years, so actually my experiment in love has gone longer than 28 years, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about um, the, the love affair that uh, I think I was called to at Operation Nightwatch, and the question has been, uh, can I, Rick Reynolds, Free Methodist Chaplain, love homeless people with the love of Jesus, uh, marginalized people, the beautifully broken, sick people, can I love them with all my heart? Can I love homeless people? That was the question uh, in, in my mind. And the question was drawn from an early experience. And I've, I've told this story endlessly for the last 27 years um, because it has become the filter through which I've viewed all the rest of my ministry, um, circumspectly, I might add. So... At that time, uh, it was about a month or two later after the fight, um, uh, Night Watch on a typical night would serve about maybe 60, 70 people, something like that, and um, we would feed them, supply them with shelter, socks, blankets, caps, all the stuff, call the shelters. So there was this one, one character in, in, in the group of 70 uh, named Ronnie, and Ronnie was a stereotypical homeless person. So he didn't look so great. He was smelled not the greatest. Um, a little rough, you know, hadn't shaved in a while, hadn't showered in a while, uh, drank too much, was mentally ill. And we would send him out to shelters. And then the shelter worker would call us back and say, don't ever send that guy to us again. Right? It's like, why not? Well, he can't keep his mouth shut. He's disturbing the other guests and uh, wouldn't do what we told him to do. And he's crazy. It's like, okay, yeah. And so night after night after night, there'd be another shelter that would call us and say, don't ever send Ronnie to us again. Well, this got to be a problem because uh, Ronnie had basically run through all of his options. And so night after night, I was having to tell him, Ronnie, I'm sorry, Nobody will take you anymore. You need to go work it out with them. Here's a blanket. And of course, I was the object of his wrath uh, at times. And he, I would do my best to de-escalate him, you know, talk like a little, you'd talk to a kid to get them to be quiet. If you whisper, they whisper back, right? Well, that's the theory. Anyway, um, so, so, but on this one particular night, Ronnie's standing in a room full of homeless people, this is when we were located at uh, First and Wall downtown. And he had a slip in his hand, which was going to get him into the shelter. So I knew there was either, either he'd worked it out with somebody or there was a new shelter worker that didn't know Ronnie. I wasn't sure. 
But he was standing there with this big crooked grin on his face. And he said, Pastor Rick, ain't I beautiful? Now, I thought about that for a brief millisecond, you know. He definitely wasn't beautiful in worldly terms. Later on, I justified my lie. I said, I said to him, yes, Ronnie, you're beautiful. And I thought later, well, you know, he's made in the image of God, right? He's beautiful like we're all beautiful. And in that, that moment, I was just like worried because the rest of the room of homeless people were kind of like murmuring among themselves as they heard me say this to Ronnie. And then um, I Ronnie, you're beautiful. And he goes, then hug me. And I'm like, yikes, you know. When I, really? Okay. So I came up next to him and I got next to him and I tried to do one of those polite free Methodist buddy hugs, you know, around one shoulder. And he was having none of that. He threw his arms around me in this great embrace and pushed his rough, grizzled face against my cheek. It was this side, I remember. And he's hugging me and holding me, and I'm smelling the, you know, too much wine and not enough shower, you know. And um, kissed me on the cheek, and off he went. Wow. You know. I was stunned. I was self-congratulatory. That was really a great thing you just did. Patting myself on the back. Thinking proud thoughts of how kind I had been to Ronnie. But then later, I realized that the Holy Spirit asked the question, Rick, who was being the ugly one in that little vignette, that little story with Ronnie? Who was being ugly? So I had to recognize, wow, you know, I wanted to keep him at arm's length. I wanted to my own sense of space and safety and professionalism. I did not want to hug that guy. But Ronnie had no problem showing me love. And I realized that's my call as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm called to love unabashedly, to love wholeheartedly the Ronnies of the world. You know, so I, I thought about that. Jesus loves Ronnie. Jesus loves the Ronnies of the world, the people that aren't very nice, the people that don't look like us, the people that are maybe difficult for us to love. And he calls us to that same loving life. Whoever loves me, the gospel reading said, whoever loves me will keep my word. And what is that word? It's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. In fact, Jesus calls us beyond love of neighbor to love of enemy ponder that they didn't get that in the first service guys okay think about that jesus calls us to love not only the the people that we like the people that are like us but he calls us to love the other the persons at the margins and people that misuse us and abuse us we're called to love those people Whoever loves me will keep my word, is what Jesus said to us. So then I thought about this story some more. This story's gone through so many iterations in my brain through the years that sometimes I don't think of myself like this, but sometimes I'm the Ronnie. Sometimes I'm the ugly one. Sometimes I'm 
hard to love. Sometimes I don't smell so great. And isn't it great to know that God loves me in my brokenness, in my pain, in my, in my self-inflicted <laughs> problems, you know, from my, all my self-centered, self-focused, self-absorbed ways. God still loves me and calls me to love. God calls me to love my brother, my friends, my co-religionists, my pastors, my superintendent. He calls me to love those people, but he also calls me to love the people sitting on a bar stool at Tarkis. He calls me to love homeless people. He calls me to love the next door neighbor who's made threats against my life. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you got to give in to your abuser, but I'm saying the challenge is listen to the spirit and love the people Love the people. God can change your attitude and approach and bring you into conformity with Christ. So I'm going to say this right now. There's no room for hatred for the faithful follower of Jesus, right? There is no room for hatred. There's no room for hatred in your heart. There's no room for hatred in this place. We have to say that, unfortunately, especially when we hear of the sad news in Buffalo this recently. There's no way to talk about the love of Jesus if we ignore the hatred in the world, the hatred directed at people because of their color of their skin. There's no way to understand this evil. There's no way for us to tolerate those attitudes in us or others. Hatred is antithetical to the love of Jesus. There is no room in this place. Jesus says, whoever loves me will keep my word. And what is that word? Well, we're supposed to lay down our lives, set aside that self-focused, greedy, self-concerned person that lives inside of each one of us and give it away. Love, 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 love. It's the point of it. Of it all. What happens after when we do that? It's Jesus says, My Father will love the one who loves me and keeps my word. My Father will love them and we will come to them. We will come to them, Jesus says, and make our home with him. There's no place like home. So that is such a beautiful thing to find out that in Christ. We have a home with the Father, and he makes his home with us. So now I'm going to tell you about some people that have found that home in their lives. A wonderful man named Herschel, and you can see us sitting on the porch at 91 Wall Street. That's me, guys. That's what color my hair was when I started at Nightwatch. <laughs> It makes me very happy and very sad to see this picture. He's, Herschel has gone to his reward. So he showed up at Operation Nightwatch, you know, just another one of the 20, 50, 75 people we were serving at that time. Oh, and he wanted to help. Like I kind of looked at him sideways because he, he looks kind of like a typical street guy, right? But after a few days, I realized, hey, he's different. 
this guy's got something going on. He's not drunk. I asked him, so, Herschel, you don't drink? He didn't say much. He just fished around in his pocket and pulled out a AA coin, 13 years sober. Are you kidding me? How long have you been homeless? 18, 18 years. It's like, oh, man. So he, worked, he volunteered for us every day. So he came. We had a problem. We had this long line of people. I remember leaving the office at 5 o'clock one day, and there was already a guy standing in line, right? We didn't open until 10 o'clock in those days. I said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm going to be first in line tonight. I want the corner cut of the cake, and I want to go to Bread of Life Mission. It's like, okay. Standing there four or five hours. So we got to come up with a new system. So I said, Herschel, could you, like, possibly stand in line for eight hours a day and pass out numbered tickets so guys don't have to stand in line. We just call off the numbers. They come in. No need for line standing. I can do it. Are you sure, Herschel? Yep. So he showed up on time. He stood in our doorway eight hours, seven days a week, for years. Never missed. Never late. Only one time I had a problem. They didn't get this in the first service either. One time I was in the office and Herschel would start passing the numbers out at two o'clock. Well, guys soon learned that they could line up early for a lower number ticket, right? So I just shoved the problem around, but Herschel got tired of them mouthing off to him. Come on, Herschel, we're ready. You're ready, let's go. So he goes out the door to the far end of the line and started passing the tickets out. <laughs> Herschel, you can't do that. They're all ready to tear him limb from the, I done it. And they were quiet. They were quiet after that. They didn't bother him anymore. So he had this funny little characteristic shrug of the shoulders that happened every minute or two. Herschel, why do you shrug your shoulders? Huntington's disease. Huntington's disease. My dad had it. It's a progressive neurological genetic disease that makes it so you can't your brain sends random signals to move to your arms and legs. And it got, gets progressively worse. So I, I thought, we got to get him inside, you know. I got, I got him squared away with some social security. And, and um, he was still volunteering. Uh, I called my friend. So this is where having connections in town can be very useful. The guy that lived in the van that he had bought from Nightwatch that he parked in front of Nightwatch to sleep in... <laughs> Uh, his street name was Loser, and he went on to become the manager of a affordable housing in downtown Seattle, a building. And, and so I called Loser. I said, Loser, have you got any units open? He goes, nope. Well, okay, I'll, I'll, talk, I'll let Herschel know. Oh, it's for Herschel. It's for Herschel. Okay, we got a unit open for Herschel. It's like, okay. So Herschel got, got inside, kept, kept, showing up. When we didn't need the number system anymore, and uh, he'd pick up litter in the neighborhood, because that was a problem for the neighbors, right? I go, Herschel, you've probably done more for homeless people without them knowing it than anybody I know. More than any social worker, certainly. You've saved them four hours a day sometimes to keep them from standing in line. You've picked up litter so the neighbors don't hate us. They've kept the floors clean, the toilets clean. What makes you do the things you do? And he, he just looked at me and he goes, mm, I made an agreement with God. 
It's like, okay. That's a testimony, uh, like I hear angelic violins playing in the background. (laughs) Violins playing, organ swells. That's the close of the service, folks, right there. I made an agreement. And he, he kept that agreement to the end. Now, again, another story they didn't get in the first service. Aren't you glad you're here this morning? Another service. So, I, you know, his disease was progressing. He moved into the Night Watch building when we got set up uh, on our current location. And <clears throat> he continued to do everything he could do. But it, I knew the time was coming. He wasn't going to be able to live on, in our building, take the stairs and... You know, I said, do you want to go check out nursing homes? No, no. He goes, no, God's going to take care of me. Okay. He lived with us until the month before he died. He fell down, bumped his head, went to University Hospital, uh, got released to uh, Queen Anne Villa right over here, right? And uh, lived there for a couple weeks and, and fell again and, and died. But Herschel was faithful to the end. He was certain of God's care for him, even though he had been homeless. And, um, and God was faithful to Herschel. God got him off the street. God gave him purposeful living and joy in life. He could sit in his room and watch the vintage cars going up and down 14th Avenue at Rainier. And he would get so excited he could hardly talk. That's Herschel. Okay, second person I want to tell you about today is Karen. This is not her, but it reminds me of her. Karen lived in this neighborhood, right over the hill at Interbay. You go, where where in the world in Interbay did she live? She lived, uh, you know where the soccer field is? at Interbay, she lived in a corner of that soccer field outside as a 64 or five-year-old woman. She'd been living with an elderly aunt taking care of her on Queen Anne someplace, and the aunt had died and left her without a place to go and no resources. Karen, uh, I ran into her the first time in the Soundtrack Tavern. I'm hoping that none of you know where that was, but never know. It was right across the street from the QFC on Dravis in Interbay. You had the Soundtrack Tavern, the Starbucks, and the Red Mill Burgers all lined up there. And the Soundtrack was probably the hardest core, worst bar in the city of Seattle. I mean, we saw stuff there I never saw in Pioneer Square just so you know. It's gone now, thank goodness. Um, But here's Karen in the corner of the bar because it's warm, it's dry, and the bartender would slip her coffee and a a burger. She didn't drink. She sat there all night waiting for somebody to land at her table so she could tell them stories. She used to be a model, and, and she was a nurse. And here she is living outside, you know, and this is like another time when I think, well, God's at work even when I'm not paying attention. So, I, you know, like all of a sudden, uh, Karen, uh, 
shows up in a Night Watch video. It's like, I'm, I'm watching this new Night Watch video and I'm going, wait a minute, I know her from the soundtrack. She goes, what's she doing in the video? Oh, she just didn't, you know, she just moved in. My coworker says, she just moved into our uh, senior apartments upstairs and boy, everybody just loves her because, well, for one thing, it's, we have 24 units, shared bathrooms and kitchens. It's mostly guys, come on. It's, it's I think uh, at that time, I think we had maybe two or three women in the apartment building. So imagine folks being one of two or three women in a building inhabited by homeless men. Well, Karen could do just fine. She, was, she, she, she knew how to handle herself, and she made friends. These guys thought they'd gotten another mother. They were so loved by her, and so they watched out for her. They cared for her. They'd bring her food so she could cook for them. You know, I mean, that was, it was such a wonderful, lovely example of what happens when, when we start to live like a community that cares about each other. And uh, it was an, a, amazing friendships that are still remembered with great fondness by, by many of our uh, longtime residents. So that's, that's Karen. And I just think, God, why, why can't we love people? We're missing out we're missing out on what, how God has for us. By what, why? Because we're afraid? God didn't call us to ease of life and comfort. He called us to be faithful. He didn't call us to not get scared. He called us to be afraid and do it anyway. You know, and that's been the, the hallmark of my work, if anything. I am no braver than Bonnie or anybody else that didn't stick with street outreach work. So I'm telling you, um, I, I've been blessed. So the, the third person that, that, I, uh, that I want to tell you about is my friend Bill. So uh, there, there's a bar that used to be at 3rd and Bell in Belltown, right across from the crack park. Oh, no, the dog park across the street. Anyway, 3rd and Bell, uh, Kelly's tavern and um, I'm in there it's a full house um, the bartender I'm talking to the bartender in a loud voice so I could be you know heard by everybody up and down the row I said you'd think that with um, all these homeless people in town that I wouldn't have any trouble uh, finding a tenant for our senior apartment age 62 and older I'm like you know the guy right next to me goes well I'm I'm a senior and I'm homeless and I looked at him and was, oh, yeah, okay, okay. You want to come up and see? So Bill, Bill moved in with us. Um, you know, he had an alcohol problem, and, um, you know, we just kept loving him. We just kept loving him. That's all, all we, anybody can do. You can't change people. You can only love them and work on yourself, right? So I'm uh, caring about Bill, and the other tenants learn to love him, and uh, he was a character, and then uh, one day he called us from the VA hospital. He was a vet, a Vietnam vet. And um, he called me and said, Pastor Rick, I need you to come up and baptize me. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking, they say I only have a few weeks left, so I need to get baptized. It's like, okay. So I went down to the VA and I talked to Bill about baptism. You know, and I thought, I don't want this just to be like fire insurance, like just a, a whim. It's not magical. 
You know, so I explained baptism to him, and then I told him, and I'm not going to baptize you today, Bill. I want you to think about this overnight. And I was praying all the way home. Oh, Lord, don't let him die before I can get back here. <laughs> and uh, I got, I, I did, I come the, came the next day, just the two of us in the room. I said, what do you think? You want to be baptized? Yes. He couldn't even get out of bed. So he gets, he, he sits up. And I got a little styrofoam coffee cup of water, you know. And I sprinkled him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Does that work for Free Memphis? Yeah. I think I remember getting sprinkled as a teenager. And um, I just remember this beatific look on his face, this peace that came over him. And he laid back down on his pillow and he goes, it's so simple. I thought, yeah, it is, isn't it? it we make it so complicated, so difficult. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to believe this. You got to believe that. Man, just love them. Just love them. And love each other. That's the key right there. And I'm going to tell you, the end of that story was, he lived through that day, but he didn't live through the next day. Bill died. I'm really glad I was in that position to be able to usher him into, into a moment of grace. So my great experiment, you know, can I love, can I learn to love homeless people? I think, well, I'm not always the best at it. What part are we supposed to be done, Bonnie? <laughs> okay. I want to, I'm going to confess again, something I didn't get to in the first sermon. So I'm, I'm at the uh, freeway exit in Shoreline, 175th going northbound. You know the the off-ramp there. If you turn right, you're going to go to the Shoreline Free Methodist Church. You turn left like I was, you're going to go get pizzas for homeless people. So I'm at the stoplight, and I'm just like, I don't want to look at the homeless guy that's standing alongside the edge of the road with a sign, right? Have you done it? Don't even look, because then you're going to feel sorry for him. Oh, man, it's a long light. Come on. Oh, Oh, no, it's somebody I know, and I I roll the window down and I, and I, I, I said, Zach, how you doing, man? It's Pastor Rick. He goes, oh, man, Pastor Rick, I hope you don't feel bad about me doing this out here. I got to pay some bills, you know. Homeless guys with bills, you know. I go, man, I don't feel bad. I hope you don't mind that I was, like, ignoring you for a minute, 20 seconds. And the light turned. He's like, you know, so, I mean, I've been at it. 28 years, I still sometimes will want to duck it. But you know what? I've been blessed, and you'll be blessed too. If you learn how to love the people that are hard for you to love, if you learn to love homeless people, if you learn to love people that aren't like you very much, if you learn to love the people in this room, you learn to love new people, And take the risks of putting yourself out there to meet them, to talk to them, to be loving to them. And when they ask you the question, why are you so kind? You'll have an answer. Because I'm loved. I'm loved by Jesus and so are you, you know? 
There's room for that in this family of God. Homeless people are loved by Jesus. God will open a place in your heart for such of those that will allow it. And I would say as an amen in the words of Bill, it's so simple. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for the love that you've poured out on us in Christ. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit that brings us to that place of conformity with the mind of Christ, who loves all of his children, who cares about the broken, the suffering, the miserable, and cares about us. We pray, Lord, that you would inspire us by your Holy Spirit to get over ourselves and to learn to truly love, not worry so much about what people think about us, but to truly love. We ask these things in the name of our risen Lord. Amen. Thank you.